The Moten Mailbag is brought to you by the Robert Russo Moten Museum, located in Farmville, Virginia. The Moten Museum is a civil rights museum focusing on the history of Prince Edward County between 1951 and 1964. My name is Kanan Townsend, Director of Education programs and welcome back to the Moten Mailbag. And I'm Leah Brow, the Assistant Director of Education. The Moten Mailbag is a weekly listener question show. Each week we'll answer questions about U.S. history, African-American culture, civil rights, and more. Feel free to submit your questions via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moten Museum or you can email us at info at So Leah, we're still in the midst, of course, of COVID-19, and that's the biggest thing surrounding any news and anything. Uh, But just just checking in, how how are you making it in the quarantine life? Uh, I feel like hanging in there is the only and best answer. Um, The wall's closing in a little bit, ready to go for a road trip, but gotta wait. It's almost summertime, the temperature's nice, but we can't really do much. I'm like, it's not safe. What's something that you have looked for in the store and not being able to find? Butter. Hmm. Yeah. I was like, where? Why? So the Food Lion didn't have any, but Walmart did. Butter. So I did the whole school. Let's just stock up. I have eight sticks in my house right now. <laughs> just in case. Butter. I didn't think that was a quarantine uh, I didn't thing. Either. But if people are, I guess if people are, you know, buying a week or two of groceries at a time, maybe yeah. they're, they're stocking up too. Hmm. Butter. How about you? Um, it's been, I finally got paper towel for the first time oh, in like two weeks. I know I have, you're worried about that. Oh, yes. But they're finally, stores are starting to do what some stores did early, which is like limiting mm-hmm. one, two per, you know, per customer. So they have to keep it stocked, which is nice. Um, yeah, other than that, I mean, that was the big thing, paper towel. But, you know, and, and fresh meat, that, but they already are limiting that to, mm-hmm. you know, two two packs of each type per, per customer too, which is nice. So, yeah, no, just. Yeah, it definitely helps. I bought two weeks worth of groceries this weekend and hopefully will not have to go back to a store until mm-hmm. like next week. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. But such is life, such is life. So per usual, we've got some questions laid out for you all. Thank those who have submitted their questions. Please keep sending questions because that's how we keep the show going. Um, even if they're a little bit off the wall, I think we have maybe one that's a little, eh, you know, out there um, today. But, you know, please keep sending in your questions because that's the only way we can keep the show going. Um, so we'll start off, and I'll ask Leah, and we'll go ahead and get started. First question, and this is uh, actually from a friend of mine. <laughs> what even is your job? What do you all do as museum educators? I said, that is a fantastic question. Leah, what are your thoughts? Okay, so it depends on the museum, but my experience as a museum educator, as a historian... All have been history museums. Um, so <laughs> what I've done has ranged from literally leading kids on a battlefield at Pamplin Historical Park in the National Museum of the Civil War Soldier. Got that all out there, that, that long name. Um, fun fun fact, it's a great day. The teacher had a, um, a bullhorn. So what happened was she was like, do you want to use it? I was like, yes. Yes, with every fiber of my being, please. So literally, we part of the op- program offerings they had, you mimic what Civil War soldiers did on different battles to kind of give like the an active component to learning history. 
But yeah, I basically got to yell maneuvers and a bullhorn. It was great. I loved it. <laughs> um, other aspects of museum education to do um to use kind of like not traveling trunks, but basically traveling trunks within the museum, like the touch boxes. There we go. And have people just like come up and say, what is this? Um, but I've learned like sometimes you need to walk away, let people engage with it themselves. And then some may look for you for questions. Um, so people don't like to talk to people. I'm that kind of person in the museum. So, yeah, I mean, but basically the definition of museum education is to provide ways to engage with visitors. I mean, it doesn't matter the age of the visitor. Everybody can learn. Um, and then my particular background, I'm a public historian. Got my master's from NC State. Okay. Yeah. So the training there basically was talking about collaboration, which is so important, especially at Moton, where you collaborate with everybody constantly, which is great because then you are sharing different stories at the same time. So I know different ways, procedures, how to do that and do it effectively. So, yeah. Museum education is just talking to different types of people about different types of stuff. But I like it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good answer. Um <laughs> Teacher and student support. That's my, you know, for in our area, which is civil rights history broadly, but more specifically at Prince Edward County, um, you know, we provide teaching tools and can can help them with learning and, and instructing the hard history um, that they might not be able to directly address in the, in the classroom or maybe counter to what are in the in the textbooks. But um, yeah, ditto everything Leah said I don't want to repeat <laughs> but I will say kind of on a different note that a lot of museums most museums I'll say have small staffs you know it's kind of, it's, it's rather unusual to have a big staff um, in your museum field I, I feel like at least um, in, in my experience and so museum staff all wear a lot of hats so like yes we are museum educators from the Moton Museum however we also do archive stuff we also do research we also do mm-hmm. you know public visitor engagement. We also do guest services. We also do bookstores sometimes. Like mm-hmm. that's just, we, you have to wear a lot of hats um, because we're small staff. Right now during the Corona stuff, right? We are the the media marketing team <laughs> because we literally can't have people in our site. And so we're combining the w- worlds of education and, and media marketing, social media type stuff. So it's, a, it's interesting. We're, we're jacks of all trades truly. Oh yeah, and then we just put out our Corona, our COVID nineteen um, call for resources from our community. So if you guys are, well, I'm a journaler, so I've journaled about it already, and I'll probably send in like a letter or a note, because um, Moton we're trying to collect, I guess, a swath or to see how people have been impacted, because it literally has changed twenty twenty, in every way. So we wanna. Give time to reflect, be able to record it, and then we're going to have it saved at Moton. So years from now, when educators and teachers and students want to know what happened, we'll have those resources for them. Always thinking ahead. And by the time you all hear this, this will probably be a couple weeks after yeah. uh, that. But we can. what we'll do is maybe when we put this episode out, we'll lift that back up in our in our feed on our social media pages. That mm-hmm. way y'all can still participate, because I don't think we'll close it, because um, we want those stories all right, on to the next question. Yeah. And I'll ask this one too because okay, I think you're answering first. <laughs> um, again, and, and, and 
this, this is okay. So we're both millennials, right? And so I, I, I don't know about Leah's friends, but my friends don't know what I do, and most of them, to be blunt, don't care what I do. I, even though it's really cool to work for me to work in a, in, a, in a National Historic Landmark, a Civil Rights Museum, a place with such important history. Um, so a lot of my friends, even some who went to school with me, don't even know who Barbara Johns, Barbara Rose Johns was. Um, and so that was the question, like, who even is Barbara Johns? I mean, they hear the name, you know, Barbara Johns Day, as we're recording this, is tomorrow, April 23rd. Uh, you know, yeah. and she's such an important person in Virginia and in U.S. history, yet a lot of people just don't know who she is. So I, we decided to put this question. Is who Who is Barbara Johns? And I'll let Leah start the answer. Okay, so Barbara Johns was a 16-year-old student who led a student strike on April 23rd, 1951. But that's like the big hoorah. The backstory of that is she was a girl born in New York. She moved back to Prince Edward. World War II happened, so her dad actually served. Her mom was working in D.C., so they went to live with their grandparents, she and her siblings. So, in the different stories, memories, um, her journals I read about Barbara Johns, um, Miss Joan, her sister's like, well, Barbara was a boss. So kind of like, she was a leader in her own household, and as a student, she was on believe the debate team mm -hmm. yeah so she's traveled she saw how other african-american schools were built what resources other schools had and she came back home to prince edward and saw that moton didn't have a lot of those things um there's a story where she got her siblings on the bus she left her lunch at home she went back home to grab her lunch and then she watched the bus that was only for white students, because this is Jim Crow America, segregation, literally drove by her, and she was like, you're going right by my school. It kind of helped get her activism going, but she'd already had a mindset of something needs to change. Um, so, yeah, Barbara John, she was a student who saw inequality in her community and decided to do something about it. I think what's particularly impactful about Barbara is that she wasn't, she didn't start off trying to change the world. She was trying to change her local situation. And, and yeah, I, I really love that story, right? Like, Barbara, I mean, I think the, the word that Joan would use is, is Barbara was bossy, yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious to, 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 to us. Um, yeah, very, very, very humorous. But, you know, Barbara was the de facto parent because, you know, when her parents would go to work in, in D.C. and Barbara would kind of be that person getting their lunches together and get make sure they're getting all out. She was the eldest of five siblings. Um, and so she would make sure they all would get out and get on the bus. And because of that, one day she misses her bus. And then, like Leah said, you know, the white bus goes by. I can't pick her up. You know, so she'd always had this kind of spark inside of her and this flame, like, look, this whole segregation thing doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, but they do the strike April 23rd, 1951. They walk out of school to go on strike for two weeks, 10 school days, and then kind of the rest becomes history. They file a lawsuit, Davis versus the County School Board of Prince Edward County. Uh, and on May 23rd, one month to the day of the protest in the Federal District Court in Richmond, Virginia, and they become plaintiffs in that lawsuit, and that lawsuit would eventually join Brown versus Board of Education. Now, Barbara very much was planting seeds in a garden she would never get to see, because uh, very shortly after the protest, she received several death threats, and there was a, a cross found burning on the school grounds, which the community took very much as a threat, and so for her own safety, her parents moved her away, 
to live with her uncle, the Reverend Vernon Johns in Montgomery, Alabama. Now, if you were in the museum, I would be like, okay, does anybody see any issue with uh, a civil rights activist, teenage African-American female going from Farmville, Virginia to Montgomery, Alabama, of all places, uh, because it wasn't safe for her in terms of her activism, right? Um, but you're not here, but I still said it. <laughs> so she went to go live with her Uncle Vernon, who was a very outspoken civil rights pastor in his, own, in his own right and a big advocate. And he very much challenged his congregation, challenged African-Americans in the area in Montgomery to stand up to tyranny and oppression, so much so that Dexter Avenue actually ended up firing Vernon. Um, and he is replaced by somebody who was young at the time, somebody who was new into town, somebody who didn't owe anybody any money. They replaced Reverend Vernon Johns with the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Um, truth is stranger than fiction, I assure you. But all that being said, Barbara did keep a pretty low profile in Montgomery. She graduated high school the next year. She spent two years at Spelman College in Atlanta after that before transferring up to Drexel University up in Philadelphia. She settled down. She got married. She had five beautiful children, and she served her career as a school librarian. Unfortunately, Barbara did pass back in 1991. But her legacy does live on. You know, her four remaining siblings are still alive, um, and they are very, very happy at all the kind of notoriety that Barbara Johns has gotten in the past couple of years, especially. So, you know, the museum that we work at opens up in 2001 on the 50th anniversary of the strike, um, which was which was huge and a big community accomplishment. Fast forward some in 2000 and. 2008, I believe, um, on uh, Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia, there was the statue, statues and memorial put up for Barbara Johns, her fellow students, um, lawyers Oliver Hill, Spotswood Robinson, Martin A. Martin, Reverend L. Francis Griffin, and many others. Um, that was put right in the Capitol Square in Richmond, right behind the governor's mansion, which was really cool. Uh, in 2017, you had the renaming of the Virginia Attorney General's building uh, from uh, to Barbara Johns, which is very ironic, just given that many of those attorney generals argued against Barbara Johns and her fellow students in the court system um, back in the day. Uh, in 2018, we celebrated Barbara Johns Day for the first time as a state holiday in Virginia, and, and along many others. There are too many things to, to, to name. But Barbara was a spark. You know, Barbara helped to lit, lit the fire that would eventually you know, sn snowball effect into what we now know as the modern Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court decision. She was a mother. She was a sister. She was, you know, a grandparent. She was an, an educator. She was an advocate. She was a lot of things. Um, but I encourage you, you know, when this whole thing is over, to one, visit us at the museum so we could talk more about it. But two, you know, there's some, there's some decent books that I think are going to be coming out soon about Barbara. Um, for the younger reader, there's already a, a book, uh, The Girl from the Tar Paper School by Terry Canefield and shameless plug for another initiative we have going on, our Moten interview series. You can go onto our YouTube page and find our interview with the author of The Girl from Tar Paper School, Miss Terry Canefield. Is that a pretty good uh, answer? I think it's a good yeah. summary. I, I think, think we, we covered a lot. I think we talked a lot. <laughs> that's okay. Um, well, that's good. You know, that's kind of the point. We want people to know who Barbara Johns is and how Somebody who, regular, from the community, 16, anybody can make big change. It's got to be brave to do it. Absolutely. But, you know, it's important to mention, too, that protests have consequence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people who, who think about protest, um, 
you know, a lot of people resort to protest first. And I, and I think that that's a, a bit misguided because what I don't want to come across is that these students were just upset and they just went to protest. No, they went to school board meetings. Mm -hmm. They talked to the county board of supervisors. They talked to the, the town council. They talked to the school board. They talked to the superintendent. You know, they followed the processes. You know, they, they went and they, they applied and then they, they appealed and they advocated for themselves. However, they were turned down at every step of the way. Mm -hmm. And so in their eyes, really where civic engagement failed, they resorted to civil disobedience because that was the only other option for them. And because of that, they were able to get what they, eventually get what they had been fighting for decades for before then. But again, it had consequences. You know, for Barbara, that meant she got sent away, she couldn't graduate with her friends, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, very, very important movement that they were able to accomplish. How about we Ready? do the question five? Because we're already at 16 minutes, I think. Okay. What do you think? I think that'll be good. Cool. All right, so skip it around a little bit. Name a song that you would consider timeless and relevant to popular culture today. I think pop culture, society, I mean, you can't hear m music without hearing Marvin Gaye. Motown in general, but I love Marvin. And so I pick What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, which is also my ringtone. If people still have ringtones on their cell phones that aren't preloaded. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it was perfect for the time, and I think it's held up pretty, pretty strong. Um, I think a lot of the issues that he was singing about in that song and on that whole album, the whole What's Going On album, I think a lot of that stuff still applies today. I think we're still in the state of flux, and I think we have a lot of work till, still to do, but... Um, I just think it's it's a little scary. I mean, it's a little scary to me actually how accurate. I mean, that song could have came out today, and I think that's relevant, what yeah. makes it timeless and relevant for me. And it's just, it's a it's a bop. I mean, I just like it. I mean, it's, it's a it's a hit. But like, it's a you know the meaning behind it. It's also super super timeless. What about you, Leah? All right. So my initial thought. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna do two. I'm gonna use two. So I first went with my girl. Temptations, because it means the Temptations. Of course, it's timeless. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then thinking about, like, an air family, if I have three brothers, if one of us starts it, we finish. If the cousins are there, it becomes a production. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would say my girl. Second one um, is Purple Rain. Love me some Prince. Always have. Yesterday marked four years since he's passed away, and I was just like, oh, my God, it happened. Cause, you know, it's really been I'm, four years? Yeah, it's been four years. Wow. And it's I remember really. vividly, I was at Pamphlin working at the time. We are eating popsicles. My friend Lauren, she was like, did you know Prince died? Immediately panicked. I was like, what do you mean? You're, that's, that's the, that is, like, the worst thing you could ever say. That's not nice. She was like, no, it really happened. So then I was in shock. Got home, and I was like, Mom, did you hear about this? She was like, yes. And routinely, I'm like, Mom, did you know Prince died? I still do that. Because <laughs> it's just like such a shock to me still. Well, he, um, wasn't, he wasn't old either. I mean, that's the other yeah. part. I'm still not over it. Put, put him out. I mean, but him, him, and Michael, him and Michael Jackson either were particularly old when they yeah. passed. But like yesterday, like looking at on social media, seeing the number of people who were like posting, I was like, yep, mm -hmm, confirmed. Yep. So Purple Rain. Oh, man. Not a bad pick. Yeah. Not a bad pick. Can you, can you just hear the love and affection in my voice right now? Yeah, it's real. <laughs> it's real. You know, I've always preferred the song Kiss to Purple Rain, but... Adore is you know. my favorite, though. But it's not, like, 
iconic. It's Prince. You can't go. I mean, you can't yeah. go wrong. I mean, his Super Bowl before halftime performance was one of the best of all time. Mm. I remember he had his little headscarf on. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. Off, tra- off trackness aside, um, <laughs> I think that'll wrap up another episode <laughs> of the Moten Mailbag. That Next episode awesome. of the Moten <laughs> Mailbag will be here at the same time. Um, I think we landed on Mondays. So yes. check your podcast feed Monday mornings. Um, you can hear it. You can hear it wherever podcasts are found: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor.com, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just look up Moten Mailbag. Please remember to submit your questions. All of our social media accounts: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. Or you can email us at info at motelandmuseum.org. And that'll be it for us today. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. The Moten Mailbag is brought to you by the Robert Russo Moten Museum, located in Farmville, Virginia. The Moten Museum is a civil rights museum focusing on the history of Prince Edward County between 1951 and 1964.